0: It is good to be back. As many of you are aware of the fact, I was gone for three Sundays in a row in February when I was in Rwanda uh, on a mission project. I will tell you, being in Rwanda is always a great experience, but it's far from a vacation. I come home exhausted, and, and the last few years, uh, because I've been gone and Easter was coming and things, I... I um, hadn't been I hadn't gone down to Florida. My son is on a, a college baseball team, and the last four years in a row, they've traveled to, to Florida for a week of baseball. And um, I went, was able to go his freshman year before I went on any of the mission projects. And then the last two years, I had not been able to get down there. And even early in September and October, he was saying, Dad, you're coming this year, right? It's the last one. You're coming this year, right? And he's a captain on the team and et cetera. And so um, I, I spoke to the elders, and I said, what, what do you think of being gone for three weeks, being back for a week, and then gone again? And they said, you know, and, you know, I've always had a sense, and I've heard this over and over again, you know, if you if you fail at home, you fail in ministry, you know, and, and so it was just one of those things, and, and the elders were totally supportive of me going, encouraged me to go, so we, we had wheels up in the middle of the 20 inches of snow that you were going, that you were getting, and we flew off to Florida, and as we got off the plane and walked out to our car, and when it was like 73 degrees, we said, why is it that we live in Massachusetts? Uh, but... It's good to be back uh, for more reasons than you can imagine but uh, anyways it's great to be back and uh you know we have a we have a heavy message today but it's an important one you know, when we were talking about this series back in our staff meetings, even in the in the late fall and into the beginning of the Christmas season, you know, we one of the conversations we had was, well, maybe we should have a theme song for this series. You know, just a song we sing over and over again. And your pastor, being deeply spiritual, this just this spiritual redwood that I am, said we should just have what the world needs now is love, sweet love. That should be our our our, our series. You know, and. And I got overruled, you know, but I got to tell you that that, that song, which was, was made popular in the 1960s and has been kind of redeveloped over and over again since then is, it, it really is a tremendous message to us because we look around and clearly what the world needs is love. It needs God's love in particular, but it, it needs love. And it's interesting that we live in a time when love, lasting, loving relationships, are actually becoming more and more extinct as we go. Because one of the difficulties we face when we think about lasting, loving relationships is that in every relationship, there's at least one imperfect person. Now, I was thinking spiritually. You know, we're in a relationship with God. He's perfect, right? We're we're imperfect, but he still loves us. When you look at human relationships... I guarantee you, like death and taxes, there are two imperfect people in human relationships, right? I mean, we just, we are flawed people. Whether we want to admit it or not, we are flawed people. The scripture says, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. All of us are messed up to a certain extent or another. And what that means is our relationships are constantly going to be challenged in the area of love. There are going to be times when we make mistakes, when we mess up, when we misspeak or we misunderstand. There are going to be times when we, you know, there's discord and disagreement and difficulties. Uh, disappointments, all that kind of stuff is going to, there's going to be failures. I mean, we we had one of these trying to get home. You know, my my wife is very gracious, right? You know, so Saturday morning, we're, yesterday morning, we I get up and I think, you know what? We forgot to check in online last night. We could have checked in as of nine o'clock on Friday night. So I get up in the morning and I go to check in on JetBlue. And it says, there's a technical problem. Please call customer service. And I said, what? what's up with that? So I tried it a couple times. So then I went back, and I just checked flight status. I put our name, whatever our flight number, and it says, well, this flight has already flown. I'm like, what? And so then I went and double-checked my itinerary, which I thought I really had right. And our flights were for Friday night instead of Saturday night. <laughs> so, so the first thoughts, so I'm sitting at my parents' table, kitchen table, you know, looking out at the, at the bay. I'm thinking, one- what if we don't get flights home? What's going to happen at church tomorrow if we can't get it? You know, it's spring break and they you know, all in nine yards. And I'm talking. I'm thinking, These are going to be a fortune. You know, my wife didn't say a word. In fact, you know what she said was, "Well, I had the itinerary too. I should have looked at it. Or, you know, that kind of thing." But you know, and unfortunately, we were able to find good flights. They didn't rip us off totally, but they, they were, you know, that kind of thing. And we got home last night. But you know, those kinds of moments are going to come in our relationships, aren't they? And and what we are seeing in our society today is that as relationships Relationships encounter difficulties or disappointments or discouragements or discord or disagreements, whatever term you want to use. And and somehow or another the relationship breaks that it becomes it becomes easier actually to kind of keep breaking relationships. I mean let me just give you a symptom, you know, that right now and, and all of these are tremendously discouraging and disturbing statistics. Because there's, there's a lot of heartache and brokenness and shattered lives. But, but the rate of divorce right now among first marriages is 40%. The rate of divorce among six, second marriages is 60%. And the rate of divorce among third marriages is 70%. It just gets easier to throw away relationships because we're flawed people. You know, we get into relationships, we get close to other people. Now everything that we see is magnified. You know, you ever kind of put a, like a magnifying glass up to your skin, and you're saying, "Wow, that's that's bad." You know, I look better from a distance. You know, all the time. You know, the farther I stand from the mirror, the better I look. You know, and and but when we get up close to people, we see all that stuff, and it gets more difficult. For us, Yet it's exactly into this circumstance that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I'm giving you a new command. I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. Now, you can, you can describe how Jesus has loved us. You can characterize it in many different ways. But certainly one element of that is that God has eternally, continuously, consistently loved us. So when he says to us that we need to love one another, he said, I want you to have a love for one another that never ends. So now you have this challenge from God to love people and never, ever, ever stop loving them. And then you got on the other side, people are just messed up. You know, so, so sometimes the people who are close, they just act like morons and they're idiots. And, they, and there's all this kinds of stuff that goes on. And how is it that these two things come together? How is it that God equips us to love flawed people continuously? And really what God is trying to do is to shed his love abroad in us. You know the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of God's presence in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You know, right on. God is seeking to inspire in us by His presence and by His power and Holy Spirit the ability to love one another, and that's really what our focal text is all about today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to First Corinthians thirteen with me. You know, we've been working through this passage of Scripture for a number of weeks now. This has been our focal text for our study. You know, and let me give you a challenge. If you haven't already done this, at a minimum, memorize verses 4 to the beginning of verse 8. Just, just memorize those verses. But I, I want to read all of this. Well, our focus today is going to be on, on verse 7 and, and the beginning of verse 8. You say, well, how do you break up the verses, that kind of stuff? Well, the, you know, the verse numbers were added in centuries after the Scripture was read r- written. And sometimes they just didn't get them quite quite right, if you will, in terms of where the breaks should come. Well, I want to just start with verse, verse 1 and just read down through. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text today on page 978, but our reading is going to start on page 977. It says, if I speak the languages of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if, if even if I'm the most eloquent, I can talk about the most majestic spiritual things, but if it's not rooted and grounded and measured by love, it's just making a loud noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so I can move mountains, but I don't have love, it all amounts to nothing. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, And if I give my body to be burned, in other words, martyred for my faith, but don't have love... I haven't gained anything. Not a single spiritual treasure. See, love is patient. Love's kind. Love doesn't envy. Not boastful. It's not conceited. Love doesn't act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices in the truth. Now our passage for today. Love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, and thus love never ends. May God has blessing to the reading of His Word. Now, the dynamic that's going on here is, is, that God is trying to pour out His love into us so that you and I can have this God-inspired love within us that allows us to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things so that our love never ends. And therefore, we can love each other as Christ, as God has loved us so what are these four things and obviously they're they're very compact together so trying to separate them out sometimes can be difficult but there there are some different thought patterns that emerge out of each one of these challenges to us these characteristics of love and the first of all is the idea of bearing all things some of your translations might have the word it protects all things the 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 root idea of this word is to cover or to protect or to bear up and they would actually would use it sometimes to speak of a roof you know it's like having a roof over you it's something that protects you it covers you there's something that bears up the weight of that so that you are protected and and it's a it's a rich word but as we we kind of come to apply it to its use here Really, probably the best connection we got is is probably from the sentiment to the idea of First Peter four eight, where it says that love covers a multitude of sins. And it could be a reference there in Peter that it's God's love that covers a multitude of sins. But certainly, as we're supposed to come to love like God, that that our love for one another comes to to to, to cover a multitude of sins. It, and really, what the idea is here is that. When you and I are, are in, are, have this divine, inspired love within us, one of the things that it produces is a sense of grace in our lives. It produces the ability to cut people slack and just kind of overlook the shortcomings that are in their lives. And and if you and I are going to be people who have lasting, loving relationships. We're going to have to be people who can overlook things in other people's lives. I want to tell you, you can, you can look at my life and you can find things that are wrong with me. In fact, the the list will just go page after page after page. You know, it's interesting when I was working in denominational life. You know, working trying to help groups of churches. It was so interesting to me that there were times when when you, you know that a pastor would just have a great relationship with his church, and then some event would occur, and all of a sudden now the perspective on the pastor totally changed. It was like you know. And and and, it, and most of it just didn't have anything to do with anything that he had done. But they just started looking for the flaws. And if you start looking, you find them. You know. And and part of what he's saying here is that love just has this ability to kind of cover, to protect, you know, and hold off, so that so that you're not seeing all the flaws, and you're helping people to avoid their weaknesses and and those kinds of ideas. And you know, it's it's. This can be a hard thing for us to do. You know, when when you live with people in particular with family. This can be a hard thing to do. It's interesting, a couple years ago, about three years ago, I went in to have my eyes tested. I needed new glasses. And so the lady was my said, you know, what, you want to be fitted for contacts while you're here. And, and I said, well, you know, contacts haven't really worked too well for me because when I, when I have contacts and I, I really can't. I can see well long distance, but I can't read with them. So I only put them in certain times because, you know, I'm usually at my desk reading or whatever, you know. And she said, well, no, 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 there's a different way to do that. You know, and she said, "Well, what we can do is we'll give you one contact for long distance and one contact for reading up close." And and I, I just envisioned myself banging into walls, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And she said, "No, no, 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 no. You, you'll, you'll, your eye, your body will actually develop the ability to respond to this." And and she said, I, "I'll just, I'll fit you. I'll just give you a pair to try. See, see how you like them. See if it works." So I, I got these contacts. One, you know, one eye is for long distance, and the other one's for up close. You know, and. And lo and behold, it it worked. You know, I couldn't see as Great long distance, and I couldn't see up close as well, you know. But but it actually worked, and I thought of it to myself, you know, this this is kind of what love does to us in terms of our vision at looking at other people. It, it allows us to see the best in them, but it also gives us the vision to be able to overlook what's wrong with them. I had, a, I had this test when I was in Florida, you know. The um, I'm going to write a, a book sometimes on the on the small things in your life that can totally derail you, right? So we're going to Florida on this trip, and so I decided to take my golf clubs and so we travel down there the main reason i took my golf clubs was because for christmas i got a brand new r11s driver you know and i was all excited to try it you know so i get i it was from the christina and the boys so i get down there and ben has a morning game so that afternoon we go out to play nine holes somewhere i'm standing on the tee box the very first swing the club breaks just two inches above the adjustment or above the head and i'm like ugh screwed up my whole round you know so I was bad anyways and I just got worse you know as we went along and so you know just I call. we called the place where we bought it from and they say well it's over 30 days we can't handle it whatever you got to do it through the warranty whatever so they we had the warranty on the thing so I called them and they say well it's within a year so you' got to call TaylorMade. so I called TaylorMade. And they say, well, you know what? If you take it to like a Dick's down in there in Florida, that if they have enough clubs around, they'll generally swap you out a shaft and we'll send them the replacement one and that kind of stuff. So I got out of them and, you know, and um, the guy's in the middle of trying to do that. And then TaylorMade tells him, well, we, we don't have any of those shafts in stock and we don't know when we're going to get them. And so he says, you know, he says, I can't have a renegade shaft even though it's the equal quality on my floor and that kind of stuff. So he wasn't able to change it out. So I go out to my car and I call up TaylorMade and they're I get this guy in the line and I tell him my story again and et cetera. And he says, oh yeah, I remember seeing an email about that." He starts checking. know, so he says, because we don't have enough stuff, I can send you this particular shaft. It's gonna it's the best shaft we sell, whatever. So he, he says, and I'm going to overnight it to you in Florida. So instead it doesn't come Wednesday. It's this is Tuesday afternoon. They've already missed their cutoff. So it comes on Thursday. So it gets there about three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. You know, and. And I, you know I'm just, oh great I can get out and still play nine holes whatever. My Christina was gone with with my mother uh, getting their hair cut and stuff. And so I try to I trying to get the shaft to fit into the club and it won't fit and it's not compatible. You know and so I get on my phone and I call a tailor made and I'm just ready to you know and, and and I got this lady. You know it's always harder to yell at ladies, isn't it? You know and so I'm I'm just working on. You know the guy's re- he was really trying to help me and he just made a mistake. You know, and, and there was just this part, there's a part of me in my anger, just wanted to, but there was just something in that allowed me to cut them some grace. It just cut some slack for them. And, and that's one of the things that love does for us. It allows us to cut each other some slack. It just gives us grace in the way we treat one another. You know, I guarantee you that every single person in your life that's important to you is flawed. And if you don't cut them some grace, it's going to kill you. It's going to kill you. And God doesn't want it to kill you. He wants it to grow you. It also says that it not only bears all things, but it believes all things. There is just something about the love of God in our lives that creates a tremendous bias towards trusting other people. It almost puts us in a position where where we we instinctively trust others, and so it's not a matter of them trying to earn our trust, but it's a matter of them actually having to work hard to lose our trust. It just believes all things. It This... This isn't saying that we're gullible, but it says that it's, it really is talking about being healthy. You know, it's, it's about recognizing that people are going to make mistakes. People are going to do dumb things. People are going to do things that, that, you know, where they misled you and et cetera. But by and large, we need to be people who are bent towards and have a bias towards trusting others and investing in relationships and caring and getting connected with others. You know, and if we live our lives in a a position where we're just cynics, where we always expect the worst in others, that the reason that they they it just didn't happen is because they're incompetent, or they're uncaring, or they're selfish, or they're somehow diabolical, or they're trying to cheat you, and and those kinds of things things happen. We can develop this mindset, where we just become totally numb to the rest of around us. But there's a there's an aspect of God's love that calls us to healthily connect to other people, to believe and to trust. You know, in, in some ways, I, I, I think that what this really is speaking about is, it can be, one is, is this is the idea of believing all things, but believing in other people, is that we, we really do have a bias towards giving the benefit of the doubt to other people. You know, to, to say, to, to really assuming that there's a reason why they've let us down or they're not the people that we expected or wanted them to be. It also means that we're ready to grant second chances. Not blind second chances, but second chances. So that as as much as it depends upon us, we're at peace with all men. In addition to believing all things, it asks us to hope all things. There there is an aspect of the presence of God's love in our lives that makes us perpetually optimistic. Perpetually optimistic. This is the confidence that we have. Not not because we are looking at one another, but because we know of who God is, what God's doing in the world. We, we just have the confidence that people really can change, that God really can transform people, that circumstances can really change. And and because we have this conviction, we're perpetually optimistic. A, a lot of this comes back to the idea of it, of constantly expecting the best out of other people. I read a lot this week about the idea that that really a lot of times just based on our expectations of people we either set them up for success we set them up for failure i don't know about all of that but i will tell you this that our perceptions can create reality you 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 if you have if you have an opinion of somebody I guarantee you you can look through their life and you can find data to back up your opinion whether they're the best person in the world or whether the worst person in the world you can look into their lives and you can find data to back up what your perception is what this is asking us to do is to have our perception towards others be optimistic to expect the best to look for the best it's a powerful word you know it's interesting that one one of the one of the concepts that floated around in the discussion about church leaders, this is probably a better part of a decade ago now, was what was the role of expectations of members and its impact on the church? Because what they saw going on as they studied this were the churches were kind of going in two directions. There was one side of the church that was saying, you know what, people are busy, et cetera, if, if we demand a lot of our people, we're going to lose them. So they kept lowering the expectations of membership. To be committed, to be connected, to have they just kept lowering it down. In terms of service and giving and prayer, they just kept lowering it down. Sometimes even their expectations of faith, even their standard of living out the faith, just kept going down. Those churches are declining. They still are declining. On the other side, there were those churches that started to ramp up the level of expectation. If you're going to be a member here, this is what it's going to take. There's actually a few churches that went to a thing. They don't even use the word membership anymore. Our church is comprised of vocational staff and lay staff. You want to get connected, you're a part of the lay staff. The volunteer staff. And and that was and they, they kept raising the levels in terms of service and being part of a life group and giving and being involved in missions and et cetera. And it just kind of kept going up. And you know what? Those churches are growing. They're growing. And and it's just an illustration to us about the power of expectation. If you look at people and say, you know what? These people have tasted the love of God. These people, these people know how God good great God is. These people have a love for God. They want to do great things for God. So let's expect great things from them. And let's express those. And, and lo and behold, they just lived right up to them Not perfectly, but in general. It, it's amazing. And, and our expectations, whether we have this optimism rooted in the love of God that expects the best out of others, it has a powerful impact on what actually happens in our relationships. And God is pouring this into us, whether or not we are setting them up to succeed or to fail. Lastly, it says that when God's love is within us and it's impacting the way that we love each other, it puts us in a place where we can endure all things. Divine, Divinely inspired love is just stubborn. It just won't quit. It's unkillable. You can use the word perseveres, endures, whatever word you want to use. This is the idea of saying, you know, somebody seems to be sliding off the cliff and you just handcuff yourself to them and saying, I'm not letting go of you. I'm holding on with you. And you just shackle yourself. That, that's what this idea is. Literally, that imagery could be used. And, you know, it really does come back to the question of what kind of relationships do we have. Do we want the kind of relationships that happen in a flash, that are really built more on attraction or infatuation or interest or whatever? Or do we want deep, loving relationships where people are genuinely loved as they are with the desire for them to become who they can be in Christ? You know, it's interesting. You remember the story of Jonah after he got done preaching? to the Ninevites, and, and he was just sure that God was going to grant them forgiveness. And so he just kind of crawled out of the city, got up on top of a hill where you could see the whole thing, and, and God gave him a plant that grew up in a day, and then it died in a day. When we have relationships that really aren't designed to endure all things, they can rise up in a day, they can die in a day. But you know what? It takes, it takes decades to grow a maple or an oak. It takes centuries to grow a redwood. It takes lasting work. It's interesting that while we were in Rwanda, One of the things as we were talking to the pastors and wives about was that, you know, men and women are different. And God did that on purpose. And then he brought them together in a relationship called marriage. as husbands and wives. And you know why? It's to make us holy. We think marriage is there to make us happy. Well, hopefully that's a byproduct, but what 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 marriage is really about is taking the most intense relationship that we ever have in our lives, where we have the, some of the greatest differences between us. And in that context, we learn how to love one another as Christ loved the church. Marriage is designed to make us holy. It's as we endure all those things, we can grow up a relationship that can withstand anything. And when we have a God-inspired love that's producing grace, and creating an atmosphere where there's a tremendous bias towards trust, where there's a perpetual optimism, and it's just unkillable, indestructible. When we have those kinds of things, love never ends. Love never ends. It just doesn't fail. It's at that moment that we're loving one another as Christ has loved us. So why is it that that's not more common, even among the people? And, and, And I don't know if I have all the answers to that. I know I don't have all the answers to that. But, but God just kept bringing me back to the same concept that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. That, that in many ways, we are just not tapping into the depth, the richness, the energy, the power that God's love has for us. You know, when Jesus had this encounter with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You know, he's the disciples have gone off to get food. Jesus is sitting out by the well. This lone woman comes because nobody else wants to be with her. And, and, and she's drawing water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And she says, well, how is it that you're asking me for a drink? You know, you're a Jew man. I'm a Samaritan woman. you know, And Jesus said, you know what? If you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for water that just springs up and just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing so you'd never have to come to the well again. And she said, well, where are you going to get that water? You don't have a bucket or anything. She said, I can give you a water that springs up to eternal life. You know, and when we were in Israel this past year, one of the things that struck me the, the most was, was um, when we were up in the area of Dan. You know, this is north of the Sea of Galilee, south and kind of to the, to the, to the west, uh, sorry, to the east of Mount Hermon. And, and you get up there, and it's really just north of the, it's, it's dry. There's no rivers, but in a span of about a mile to, a, to two-thirds of a mile, this Russian river just develops right out of the ground. I mean, you, you get out of the bus in the parking lot, and you don't, you don't hear anything or whatever. There's a few trees around you start walking down this path, and before you know it, you start to hear this roar. You know, and and you stand on this bridge, and I mean, it's not a you know the river's probably only thirty or forty feet wide, but man, it's just moving. It's the water's just coming up out of the ground and creating this rushing river. And and you know, it just strikes me that many of us, you know, God is just He's raising up through his spirit, just this tremendous reserve of God's love that's just flowing through our lives. And, and many of us, we're just, just drinking a little bit of it at a time, you know, just, just enough to make us feel better, but never really changing us, just enough to satisfy our thirst a little bit. But you know what God really wants? He wants us to really drink from the river. <laughs> You know, he he wants us just to suck it all in. I mean, I couldn't find a fire hose, so I was going to use a fire hose. So I had to settle for this. But God just wants us to suck it all in, you know. And it's it's like when you get a chocolate milkshake, you know, and you can't suck the ice cream through the straw. You just wish they'd put a bigger straw in that thing, you know. Well, God just is looking to give us the biggest straw for us to suck this all in so that we really can be people who say, you know what, I can do that. I can have a love for other people that's never going to fail, never going to fail despite the fact that they're flawed people. How deeply do you really want to drink of God's? Let's pray together. God, we, we we start by thanking you today. We know you we know we're your creation. We know that we're made in your image. But Father, all of us today, you know we're damaged goods spiritually. And yet, Father, you loved us anyways. You stepped down out of heaven. You stepped into a manger in Bethlehem. You grew up perfect among us. And you died in our place. You loved us continuously because you want to love us eternally. God, that love is available to us today. If you're here this morning, you've never tasted the love of God through asking for forgiveness of your sin, placing your trust in Jesus as your Savior and as your taste of his love. If we've forgotten what that taste is really like. God, give us the yearning, the fire, the thirst. You know, as the deer thirsts for the water, so our soul is free. God, give us that hunger and that thirst for the full depths, full measure of your love Because, God, we know that there's no better way for us to experience the life that you really offer us, the abundant life, than to love you, to love our neighbors continuously. So, God, do a new work. What a perfect time of the year to do. God, change the size of our straw so we drink more fully the river of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.